Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Tom Hayes. Tom is very well known here in the big smoke as a broadcast journalist who spent over three decades covering Toronto for CTV News, City News, and Global News. Today, he is the brains and brawn behind One Minute Morning, a daily 60-second blast over that internet thing that covers four local stories and prepares you for the day ahead. Welcome, Tom, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Hi, Andrew. Thanks so much for having me on. It's quite a compliment to be on something called Toronto Legends. And <laughs> I guess if you hang around long enough, uh, people get to know who you are and, and what you do. And uh, yeah, I, I appreciate the plug for One Minute Morning as well, too. It's something new and exciting in my world, and uh, I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I, I'm currently, I live in Pickering, so uh, I'm a Scarborough boy, and I always say I live in Pickering with the rest of Scarborough. It's sort of the migration east but I'm right on the Scarborough border with Pickering. Excellent. Well, we're going to talk about the transition out there. If I may, I'd like to ask who makes up the Hayes household these days and and what is everyone up to? Uh, Well, I've got two uh, two girls here and uh, they're working and uh, they're still in town. Uh, My youngest daughter, Shauna, lives downtown Toronto. She's a a legal assistant. Uh, My my oldest daughter, Kelly, she's uh, involved actually with Chorus, which is uh, owns Global, uh, in their in their mar- marketing and branding. So she looks after a, a couple of uh, t- television channels such as uh, History, Food Network, and, th- and that sort of thing, too. So she's also got a TV thing going, but it had nothing to do with me. She's uh, done it all, all, all on her own. Excellent. And if I'm, if I'm understanding you right, you might have everyone off the payroll. Yeah, you know what the uh, the great the greatest check you ever write is that last one. Once university is done, <laughs> well, I am looking forward to that. I still got uh, years ahead of me of earning and burning. So we'll good see. luck with that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> now, Tom, your current focus is One Minute Morning, which you have created and are the host of. What is One Minute Morning, and and why do we need it? Okay, great couple of questions. So, so one minute morning is uh, just like it sounds, a great alliteration, I must say. One minute morning, and it kind of says it all. It's just something that I, I sort of saw an opportunity, a time of day where people are starting their day, they're busy, they're crazy. Uh, you might be getting ready for work, putting sandwiches together for the kids, and and you may not have an opportunity to get filled in on what's going going on. So the concept and the idea was to, to take a minute or, you know, minute and a few seconds and just tell you what's going on here. Here's four stories that me as an experienced journalist think you should probably know about in, in, in Toronto, in the greater Toronto area, just as you're heading off on your day, you know, so when you get in that elevator and somebody says, hey, did you hear about the billion-dollar shortfall at City Hall? You can say, yeah, I did hear about that. You know, that's crazy, or let's talk about it, let's expand on that. It's just an idea so that you don't don't go around the day um, not knowing what's going on in, in our city and in our area. And for this to get out first thing in the morning, I'm a little scared to ask, what time are you waking up each morning to be able to put this out on a timely basis? Right, way too early. So... I am not a morning person, although I am now. So we have our first editorial call is uh, 5.30 a.m. And we're Rollins. And we are a very small, efficient uh, group of seasoned journalists. And uh, we start rolling at 5.30. 
and we are up between 7.30 and 8 o'clock in the morning. So it is a, it reminds me of the days earlier in the newsroom, you know, I I always remember being in school and, and looking at a clock and I wasn't, I wasn't a keen student. Uh, and thinking, you know, I'm not sure what I want to do with my life, but I just know I can't watch a clock because it just ticks by. And then in a newsroom, you wish you had more than eight hours in a day because the day just flies by. So so this this reminds me of exactly that. It's the same feeling in the morning uh, over a couple of hours. It's just crazy and then uh, exciting and fun and gets the blood going, you get the coffee going, and within a couple hours you you have we have ourselves uh a pretty cool little newscast that we're that we're really proud of. Well, I can see what appeals to you is that there's constantly fresh material coming in, you're constantly working on new stuff, and I know you're also a huge advocate of local news. Absolutely. That's that's what 1 minute morning is about. I've always loved local news. I got the opportunity Many years ago from CTV National News, I, I got the phone call that, you know, people wait for, uh, journalists wait for, we want you to join CTV National News, we want you to travel around the world with your family and whatnot and start here, go to the States, go overseas, come back, what you know, one coast or the other. So I, I got that call and I got that opportunity and I turned it down for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, I realized in order to elevate my professional career, I'd have to turn my personal life upside down, you know, so dragging your kids along. And and we love where we live and we have a nice neighborhood and the kids are in the school and that meant more to me. So, but on top of that, I really do love local news. It's kind of like municipal politics. It doesn't get a lot of respect, but it's really the most important thing that's going on in your life. Uh, municipal politics always has a brutal turnout of like 30%, even though the issues relate to your street, your backyard, your park, your neighborhood. Well, it's the same with local news. It's what's going on around you. All news is important, especially international news, especially these days. But I always love that local feel about what's going on around you. And certainly you can argue you can get the national and international stuff anywhere. It's readily available, but good local news is hard to uh, come by. I, I completely agree with you. And I'll also say that things are what they used to be when it comes to local news. How many people, I also teach, I'm a, a journalism professor at, uh, at Seneca, and I ask my students how many people sit down and watch the 6 o'clock news, and not one hand goes up. So that old dynamic, that, that old approach to local news is archaic. You know, it's, it's when we used to work with the TV station and the TV station would say, you sit down at six o'clock and get ready for the news that we're going to tell you. And it doesn't work like that. The control is now uh, with the recipient of the news, not the presenter of the news. So the six o'clock news, I don't know, the days are... The days are winding down, if you ask me. And and uh, that makes me sad to say that because I built a house and a family on that. But it's not what it used to be. So people want to consume information and entertainment on their own schedule. They want to be in control of the button. So with one minute morning, you have exactly that, right? If, if you're on the subway or the bus or you're in the kitchen and you have 60 seconds 
you can get up to date with us on One Minute Morning. Certainly on demand is what people expect and want. And even this trend to local, the old guard moving to the new new guard. I want to give a shout out to Jim Lang, another past guest on this podcast, who's right. really carved out a great niche at 105.9 The Region. The region in this case being York Region. I'm in Richmond Hill. And he also really feels strongly about the role of local news. It plays into your life every day. It's your taxes. It's your kids' schools. It's your the gas, the price of filling up the gas tank. It's going and getting a loaf of bread at the grocery store or your or your Tim Hortons coffee, which is way too expensive these days. But it really is everyday life once you go outside the door. Let's talk, if we may, about the business case behind One Minute Morning. With only 60 seconds of content, you have done something I think is very smart. You've inserted two, for lack of a better description, branding blasts per episode that give you sponsorship revenue, but are unobtrusive and frankly not fast-forwardable because they only last four seconds each. Are you happy with this model? Man, you should write my bio. That, that was very well said. I couldn't have said it any better. Yeah, so I wasn't sure what One Minute Morning was going to be when I started it. I knew what I wanted to do, and I, I hope it had an appeal. And it is growing. Tens of thousands of viewers now. Uh, in fact, at, in in September, we had, we had a new mark of 112,000 views. So I was actually approached by two sponsors, uh, the first being Mellow Technologies. They just approached me out of the blue. And I have no idea about that side of the business, sponsorship or sales or anything like that. And they just said that, look, we have never, ever advertised before, but we like this and, and we would like to be part of it. And, and that started the ball rolling on what exactly would sponsorship be here. So I, I kind of went old school, like the old newscast where you would go to commercial break, but I'm dealing with 60 seconds, not 60 minutes. So um, you, you were spot on the way you described it. it. It's not a commercial. It's a branding opportunity. The commercials are four seconds long. And on TV, that's a lot of time. But it allows a company to say, here's our name. Here's what we're about. And that's pretty much it. It's not like, okay, we have a deal this week on, on whatever. Let me tell you more about it. We don't have the time or space for that. But one of what one of the other sponsors, uh, UBS is our other sponsor who just joined us as well too, uh, a, a big uh, construction company in in Toronto, the GTA. And again, they wanted the same opportunity. And here's what they told us: if you're a local company and you want to advertise specifically in Toronto, where do you go? Everybody puts content on the internet with the goal of conquering the world. I'm going to put up content and I want the world to, I want millions of people around the world to hit that like button. We're not like that. We're specific to Toronto. And if you want to advertise to a Toronto audience, what do you do? So, so one minute morning really opens up the door for local companies in the GTA to actually say who they are. Now you can buy Facebook ads. Sure. But it's not embedded in anything. And do people actually stop and click and watch them? I don't, but some people do. So this is a very subtle way of just saying, of giving local businesses an opportunity to say who they are within within the body of the uh, entire news program. 
which is 60 seconds long. Well, I think he did a great, subtle's a great word. I found it very unobtrusive, didn't get in my way. And as you know, you, you hit the target market right on. These are people who want local and now they're getting local advertisers, local sponsors. I think another area when you talk about the business case of this new model, so to speak, is content distribution. Now, content distribution is the Wild West. You and I are getting told we need to get our stuff out on YouTube and Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and a hundred other ways on the internet. You can easily go down a rabbit hole and waste your time chasing all these distribution channels. Where have you come out, Tom, on all these? Where can people consume One Minute Morning and where have you kind of focused your reaching people? Um, so I think the Wild West is, is a good way to put it because there are there is still no book out there. there there's, no, there's no set of rules of here's how to do that. Uh, although there's a million people on TikTok that will tell you how to do something. So One Minute Morning, when I created it, TikTok was not on, on our plan. You know, I thought those, those crazy creative kids on TikTok are not going to want anything to do with this. Well, is it, it turns out to be our biggest audience, which gives me hope for the next generation of news consumers. These crazy creative kids are actually kind of digging what we're doing. So TikTok currently makes up over 50% of our total audience, and it's still growing and growing. But the unique thing about One Minute Morning is that it translates over different platforms. So we're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and YouTube. So there's not much content that you would find on TikTok that you would say is applicable to LinkedIn. But One Minute Morning translates very well across all of those platforms, simply because what it is, it's, it's a local news show. That's 60 seconds long. So whether you're working in on Bay Street and, and LinkedIn is your thing, or you're a kid in, in your, your parents' house pumping out content, you still want to know what's going on in the world or in, or in your local world, One Minute Morning fills you in, uh, and it doesn't matter what platform you're on. It, it works so far on all platforms. I think that's great. I mean, you're blowing my mind when you say 50% of your audience is on TikTok. Uh, it, I'll tell you, it blew my mind too. Uh, like I, it wasn't even in our consideration. I thought we're not going to do TikTok because uh, that's just not us. And wow, like it really gives me hope, you know, for the next local news generation. And you're giving me a great idea. I'm going to admit I'm a dinosaur. I am that guy. I do sit down at six o'clock. I watch the local news. Six thirty, <laughs> I watch the American news. But I can't get my sixteen-year-old to open a newspaper or listen to anything. But guess what? She lives on TikTok, so maybe this will be the way she gets her news. It, it, it's funny because my nephew, who is, uh, you know, his early 20s, he's a trail paramedic, he, he sent me a text saying, Uncle Tom, this is great because this is about the only attention span my generation has, right? So, you know, Ed, Andy Warhol talked about 15 minutes of fame. I think we're down to about 15 seconds now. Um, in fact, TikTok will tell you 1.5 seconds. They say you have like two or three seconds to grab someone's attention or whatever. But it is a different generation. And it is new technology and it's a different focus for me. And the result is one minute morning. I love it. Well, you didn't just wake up one day and do this. You had a whole background, and it is time to go all the way back, get the Tom Hayes story. Yes, the ring today, but you are a Toronto boy. Please share your background and upbringing. 
I was born on the Danforth. Um, I took my first steps in Withrow Park, so I'm a I'm a Toronto guy. Uh, I was raised in Scarborough. You know, my my immigrant parents from Scotland uh, arrived in 1954. You know, my dad came with 20 bucks or 10 bucks in his pocket and, and, and built this life for us. And that's not a unique story in Toronto, but it's still a great story because it's really what this city is about. So my dad came over here and you know, stay with somebody's auntie's friend or whatever on a couch and, and, and ended up building this life for us. So uh, Scottish, Irish, Italian, uh, basically owned the Danforth back in the 50s. And then from there, you know, Scarborough sort of evolved with the building of neighborhoods and homes and, and my parents uh, moved out there. Uh, so I was raised in Scarborough. And uh, like I said, now I live, live next door in Pickering with the rest of Scarborough. Um, so, so that was my upbringing. Uh, went to high school in Scarborough, David and Mary Thompson High School. Uh, played high school football for years. Uh, I loved school after three thirty p.m. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I really was not a great student. I was more sort of learning on the job kind of kind of guy. I love that. Love school after three thirty. Now, you did go on to University of Toronto, where you got your degree in sociology. What campus were you on, Tom? Uh, guess, guess which campus Scarborough campus. <laughs> My university career is kind of, kind of interesting because I'll go back to when I was a teenager in Scarborough. Uh, I'm also a musician, like every other kid in Scarborough was. And I thought I was going to be a rock star. That, that's what I was, that's, that was my focus. I was in a local band, my high school buddies. This is what we were going to do. And that just fell apart one day. Uh, we did okay, and but I still play today. I, I still play uh, music today. And when that fell apart, I'm like, well, what am I going to do? And I happened to see this ad on our little TV at home uh, for Scarborough Cable looking for volunteers. Uh, and I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Had no idea what I wanted to do. And I, I was about 19, 20 or so, and I walked into the front office of Scarborough Cable and saw a bank of TV monitors in the control room. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do. And they had a daily news program called Scarborough Today. It was pretty bad. Nobody watched it, but it was a real news program. Daily deadlines, you had to produce it. And I just fell in love with television news. And I ended up pretty much moving in there and, and that really got in the way of my university studies at the time. I was in my third year university, and I ended up leaving university with a year to go because I got hired on, actually at Scarborough Cable, uh, for the news program. Uh, my first contract was $9,000 a year. And I'm like, wow, they're paying me to do this. This is awesome. <laughs> but But I didn't finish university. And... 23 years later, I went back to university part-time, uh, took me two and a half years. It was pretty intense. My kids used to say I had homework face for two years. And in uh, 2007, I actually graduated my sociology degree uh, with straight A's. And uh, I was a way better student the second time than I, than I was the first time. So I'm glad I went back to university. Um, just to finish it off, because I'm the first person in my family to ever get a degree. You know, my, my mom and dad, you know, came from 
came from Glasgow with with not much of an education and and really uh, built a life for us. So I, I was fortunate enough to be the first one with a degree. Until my kids, of course, they both have degrees. My older daughter Kelly has her master's degree, and they're way smarter than me. <laughs> but as you know, good on you. You set the example for your kids, and uh, certainly they they took note of the fact that uh, after all that time, you they probably a lot of people would have said, "Why are you doing it?" And you did it. So, yeah, that is an interesting story of having. And isn't it interesting? Full circle, starting with community television, and now back to your local roots, so to speak. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, because the it, I mean, community television was even was hyper local. Like it really was just Scarborough. Um, which there was lots of stuff. I always loved municipal politics, always something going on. Uh, but that is that is what hit me first, and that was my first uh, first love was local. Now, 9,000 bucks at Scarborough Cable. You're rich. You've made it. You're on top of the world. But was your you next know what? I got $9,000, and I went out and got an apartment. <laughs> hey, priorities. Yeah. Tom, was your next stop at, at Barry's CKVR? Yes, so I was at the Scarborough Cable for about three years, and uh, here's how it came about: was I was covering municipal politics, and we were working intensely every day. I wanted to interview absolutely every candidate in Scarborough that was running, and we were out in the middle of doing that, and there was this huge crash on the four hundred one, huge fiery, deadly crash on the four hundred one, and I was the only camera that was there. Uh, me, me and the other fellow that I was working with. And as it ends up, I called CTV News, which is CFTO News at the time. I ran the tape over there. They ran it as their lead story. And that gave me a contact at CFTO. So the next week I phoned up there to a reporter, uh, Peter Durant, uh, and I said, could you look at my stuff and just tell me? And he said, yeah, come on over, man. So... I went over there and he looked at it and he goes, oh, this is really good stuff. This is good stuff. I'm like, thanks. I'm thinking I'm going to start working at CFDO the next week. And he's going, you should go to Barry. You should really apply in Barry. And I'm like, really? So that's how I sort of reached out to Barry. And uh, I got a response back and I'll, I'll never forget this. It was like, it was like a full page hand typed out letter from Terry Fields, who was the, the news director there. And I only remember the first and the last line, because the first line was, hi, Tom, I think you might have potential. That was the first line. And then he kind of ripped me apart throughout the whole letter. And at the end, he goes, I really think you should go even more north to Timmins or whatever, Sault Ste. Marie. But he said, I have a tape librarian position, uh, uh, Matt leave coming up. And, and, and the tape librarian does one consumer report on air a week. And I knew if I could get on air once a week, I knew I could turn it into something. So I took that job and, and that's what happened. I was, you know, file cards, typing and stuff. And then I would do this consumer report once a week. And from there it, it, it built and uh, I got to stay after the six month uh, mat leave. And I was there for three years uh, before going to uh, CFTO. And then how did you get to CTV, CFTO in uh, 1988? So it was, uh, I had put this proposal together to work at City TV because I thought City TV was pretty cool. It was like rock and roll news and, and I thought it was pretty cool. And uh, I ended up just putting this whole proposal together. Uh, but then my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, Lynn, said, 
look, why don't you also just throw something into CTV or CFTO as well, too? I thought, okay, yeah, I did. And then I ended up getting a call from the uh, the news director at CFTO, and uh, he knew a couple of people who had worked at CFTO who previously worked in Barrie, and he asked them about me, and they knew me, and they, they said a couple of kind words about me. And uh, that's how it ended up coming about. I ended up getting uh, an interview with CFTO, and I ended up uh, uh, joining them. 23 years as an anchor and reporter with CTV News, why did you then make the move to City TV in 2011? Yeah, great question. So I got a call in 2011 uh, from from City TV, uh, from Tina there. And uh, she had asked, and, and another cameraman who also works there had, had asked a friend of mine, said, hey, would you be interested in coming over? Because they're looking at revamping or, or whatever. And I thought, I'm up for any sort of conversation for sure. Uh, so they phoned and I went and had a meeting with them and they were starting a five o'clock or revamping their five o'clock and six o'clock news. And I was like, I'm in, you know, I, I'd love to do this. Uh, I had been doing weekend anchoring for 13 years straight. Uh, so this was a completely new challenge uh, and and just at the right time of my career as well, too, because things at CFTO were just kind of rolling along and really kind of stale for me. And and this was a chance to, to do something brand new uh, at, a, at a really cool place and a really creative place, too. You know, a place you could go in and just really use your creativity and, and your techniques and, and your storytelling abilities and really sort of develop something. So I went there and after we did, after we were, I was working there for about six months, I had this idea for a five o'clock show because uh, it wasn't working. And I actually went to the president of Rogers Media and I pitched it and he goes, I like it, go do it. And I'm like, he goes, but you're responsible. I'm like, wow, okay. So that's where I came up with a concept called The Five. And and it was very much a, a news show without all the traditional news format and barriers. We were just going to fly by the seat of the, our pants. So if, if somebody, if something happened and we didn't care where it came from, if something broke online from, from the Globe and Mail, uh, our, my buddy Talbot there, he, he was in charge of that. He'd say, he would interrupt the show and say, hey, I got something here. Globe and Mail is reporting this. We didn't care where it came from. We just wanted to get the information out. Uh, so it was a bit, a bit of fly by the seat of the pants kind of thing. And within a year, our, our numbers had doubled and things were going really well. Uh, and then we got a new boss and, uh, you know, him and I didn't see eye to eye. And, uh, yeah, that was kind of at the end of it. If you're enjoying this Toronto Legends interview with Tom Hayes, please check out the more than 200 additional episodes available anytime. We've got Jerry Dobson, Gord Martineau, Wendy Mesley, Zeb Shalev, Steve Pakin, and Evan Solomon. How they did it directly from the Toronto Legends themselves. All episodes available 24-7, 365, wherever you get your podcasts. Or go to torontolegends.ca. Well, I think uh, you've alluded to the next stop, which is... After four years at City, you made the move to Global Television in 2015. Right. So, so Global was. Uh, so I got a lovely call from Global after after City TV ended, 
uh, because you know a lot of people don't get phone calls after after that long. Yeah, so it was really nice for uh, of them to call, and they said, "Hey, do you want to come and you know hang out here?" I didn't want to get back into the full time staff position or whatever, so I said, "I'll come back as a freelancer," and I hung out there as a freelancer and. I'll, I'll say this about Global is they really sort of recognize the type of stories that I like to tell, uh, which are real storytelling endeavors, uh, not so much as, you know, chasing fire trucks and police cars, really something that I, I'd love to, to write and, and be creative with. And they recognize that and they, they would throw those stories my way. You know, they would say, oh, this is a Tom story. Um, so I really enjoyed my, my three years there as a freelancer as well, too. You know, but then COVID hit, things slowed down or whatever, and um, I left there and, you know, kind of twiddling my thumbs, what's going on, and then the light bulb went off with uh, one minute morning and uh, still going. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, over this very extensive career you had on television, on the airwaves here in Toronto, you covered many notable stories over your career. You led a series of investigative stories on date rape and what were at the time Ontario's antiquated liquor laws, which actually prompted the legislation to be changed. Then Ontario Minister of Government Services Jerry Phillips, in fact, dubbed the changes to the provincial liquor laws as the Hayes Amendment. I'd say that would be a significant career highlight. Please, wow. please share that story, Tom. Yeah, if I could high-five you right now, I would. You know, it, it is the highlight of, of my career, um, I mean, I've won an Edward R. Murrow Award, and uh, I, you know, I've had some great moments in my career. But this one really sort of tops it. So it was around '07, and uh, the date rape issue in Toronto was huge. Um, so I sort of picked that up and started looking into it, and I started investigating and doing a number of stories because the problem was uh, young ladies would go to the washroom in a club. And they had to put the drink down on a table beside the washroom because they weren't allowed to take their drink or their glasses inside the washroom. And of course, those drinks were exposed and left alone. And, and, and police were telling me that's where they would, be, they would get into the wrong hands or somebody would drop something in a drink and then they would watch the young woman come back out, grab her drink or whatnot. So it was a real problem of these drinks being exposed, nobody watching it for you. So I started to look into it, and I connected with uh, Nick DiDonato from, from Liberty Village, uh, from Liberty Entertainment. And he told me, he says, you know why you can't take your drink into the washroom? And I said, no, that's what I'm trying to figure out. He goes, because that room's not licensed, and the other room is. And it was something as silly and ridiculous as that. So I was thinking, maybe this is a safety issue. They don't want glass in the washroom. It could break or whatever. He goes, no, it's ridiculous. He goes, it's simply because the main room has a liquor license and the washroom does not have a liquor license. So I started looking into this further, started pressing and telling this story. Uh, Jerry Phillips picked up on it and also said, that's crazy because it was an archaic old paragraph or rule inside the uh, the liquor license law. Uh, so he to his credit, he recognized the issue and he set out to change it and, and he rewrote the Liquor Act to allow for a permit, for a license permit inside the washrooms. And he very graciously named it after me when he when he called it the Hayes Amendment. 
So I have it hanging on my wall, and it's signed by Jerry, and it it it, it really makes my day when I, when I walk by it um, because it 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 was some great investigative work that really helped save some people from uh, from danger. So, um, Jerry was very nice about the whole thing. He didn't have to name it after me. He didn't have to call it the Hayes amendment. Uh, but he did. And if you Google Hayes amendment, it still comes out. <laughs> and it'll always be, that's great. What a crazy story. I didn't know the background of that. That's just a crazy story. Absolutely crazy story. And you know what? I still hear from people now and then because I hear people say, you know, they, they go to a club or whatever and, uh, and they still can't take their drink into the washroom. So some places have not caught up with it. Um, so if if you're listening and you own a club or you go to a club and you can't take your drink into the washroom, find the owner and tell him he simply has to go online, fill out this little form, and then the washroom will also be licensed and you can take your drink inside there too. The Hayes Amendment still proving to be a change, a game changer today. Yeah, and but uh, some places still need to change, still need to get on top of it. Now, Tom, you also covered visits by then-Prince, now King Charles, and the late Princess Diana. Did you enjoy that kind of coverage? I loved that kind of coverage because um, that was sort of the world coming to Toronto. Um, so it, it was huge international news uh, right in our backyard. Uh, and of course, Lady Di was was really something. And I saw, I captured a really great moment with her. So she was in Toronto. They were in Toronto uh, with uh, the Royal Yacht, and it was the time when the two young boys were on the Royal Yacht as well. And I was doing the late news one night as uh, the eleven thirty newscast, and I was live from the yacht. There was a crowd, and it was just at a time where where Diana showed up right on cue, live on camera. She showed up, and I, I had to say there was about 50, 60 people that were just standing there, dying to even just get a look, whatever, and she graciously walked by and started chatting with people. Um, so she didn't have to, but she really just made herself available, smiling and waving and saying hello to people uh, before she made her way onto the yacht. So... It really that really was a, a special moment. I'm I'm not a big royal guy at all, but you can't deny it's a huge story, and it certainly was when they were in Toronto. Absolutely. Now, in addition to royalty, you've covered prime ministers and business leaders and rock stars. Any notable celebrity interactions that were exceedingly positive? And heads up, Tom, you know that my follow up question is going to be if there were any negative celebrity interactions next. Uh, I can't, I can't think of any negative celebrity. I'm also not a big celebrity guy. Like I'm, I'm not a Hollywood guy, but I am a big music guy. So there's two music interactions that I've had that really sort of knocked me over. And one was Mick Jagger. I don't know if you know, but the Rolling Stones used to always practice and rehearse in Toronto before they would start their world tour. So there was this one opportunity where they were arriving in Toronto late at night uh, to start the rehearsals in Toronto. And there was a ton of media around at the airport. And I could see Mick getting off the plane way down the tarmac, whatever. And I knew the gate that they were going to use. So we, we jumped in the car with my cameraman. We, we drove around to the gate and it was just us. And, and his limo comes out right in front of me. And I just, I stood right in front of the limo and I wasn't moving. 
And I remember saying just one word. I was pointing my finger to the driver. One word, one word. And he's just waving at me like, get out of the way, get out of the way. And he was this big guy. And he's like, get out of the way. You're waving. And I'm, I'm like, I'm not moving, right? I go, I just want one word, one word, one word. And he's like, get out of the way, get out of the way. So then I got down on one knee in front of the car. And I go, one word. All I want is one word. And he's like, and then he turns around. I see him talking to somebody behind him. And he looks at me again and he starts waving to the back window. And sure enough, the back window comes down and it's Mick Jagger, sticks his head out and and gives me an interview. Now, that is incredible because they could have just run me over and kept going. But he didn't have to do that, but he did. So Mick Jagger, I'm looking at the picture on my wall right now of it. He rolled down the window and he gave me, you know, 30 second, 40 second interview said it was great to be here and we got we got the interview that that no one else did from Mick Jagger. And the other interview was from Paul Stanley in Kiss. So I'm a Scarborough guy, so I was a big Kiss fan. And it was one of those moments where I mean if you're looking at a rock star, there's a rock star. And it was one of those moments when I was interviewing him that I could actually feel my knees kind of going a little wonky. You know, I, I've never had that before, and I've interviewed everybody, and I'm like, well, "Wow, this this is Paul Stanley. This is this is a rock star," and uh, it was a great interview as well. That's there's there's a couple of really good ones. Do I have any bad ones? Um, no, uh, I talked to De Niro uh, a few years ago about Trump, just as uh, at an event, and it was quick. It was passing by, and 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 he just slagged Trump uh, up and down or whatever. Uh, so that was a great interview as well, too. But I, I've never been sort of a red carpet kind of kind of guy. Uh, my pal, Andrea Case, who I, who I uh, hosted the weekends with uh, for years, uh, a lovely friend. That That's really her world. And she's great at it. Uh, but it's not so much for me. But I've had a few a few interactions more musical, though, than than Hollywood. And as you know, it's always good when it's something you're passionate about, too. So that makes it all the better. Absolutely, because you, then you get to be, you know, a bit of a fan. You're not supposed to be as a journalist, but sometimes you just can't help it. You're like, oh, my God, that was Mick Jagger. Just rolled down his window, shook my hand, and gave me an interview. Like, who am I? <laughs> you can't beat that. <laughs> no. Now, Tom, I want to ask about your other role. You're, as you mentioned, teaching journalism at Seneca College. How do you enjoy working with students in an academic setting? So I enjoy it far more than I thought I was going to. Um, so I, I joined their program just on a part-time basis, uh, about three, four years ago, my colleague, Bill Hutchison from, from CTV news and, and CFTO news, uh, kind of runs the program there. He's fabulous at it. And, and he asked me a few years ago if I'd be interested in, and I said, yeah, I'd be interested in trying it, thinking that I wasn't going to enjoy it that much, but I really do. And I'm really encouraged to be, uh, about the the group of journalists who are on their way. The world needs journalists today more than ever, and but it's a tougher environment today. Uh, I, I worked for you know a couple of companies and had a solid paycheck uh, every two weeks, and I'm not so sure that that that's uh, what life is going to be for for future journalists. I I, I hope there's some stability there, um, but the, but the passion is definitely there. Uh, for, for, you know, covering the news and telling stories and whatnot. So I, I really do enjoy sort of hanging out with uh, future journalists and, and 
you know, sort of enlightening them or telling them or sharing with them everything that I've, I've garnered over my career. Well, when you're tasked with educating the next batch of up-and-coming journalists, how do you keep up with the technology changes? Great idea. First thing I say is watch One Minute Morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's their first assignment. <laughs> it, the, it is funny because, so I'm old school when it comes to television news, and here I am doing this brand new technology thing that they should be doing. So I, I tell them that they have every tool that they need to succeed is is right in their pocket. It's their phone. Uh, and I wish I had that tool when I was starting out. I mean, when, when I started at CFDO, they gave you a walkie-talkie that was like the size of a bus that you would carry around all day. And if they wanted to get hold of you, they would call you on this walkie-talkie. And then you had to have a bunch of quarters in your pocket to find a pay phone to call back. You know, we had to use um, the the phone book. <laughs> you know, my contacts were were you know on an old card system, and so to have that tool today, I would have loved to have had that tool today. Yeah, well, it's a, you know, I, I think I think back to I did actually did a story about cell phones when this new thing was coming out that they were going to put a camera in it. And I remember doing a stand-up going, you know, a real estate agent could come along and show you a house just by clicking his phone and sending you the photo, right? That was like cutting edge. <laughs> so so I tell the students they have everything they need, they need uh, to be a journalist, and that's basically wrapped up in your phone. That's great. Well, when you tell them you had walkie-talkies and quarters for the pay phone and a Rolodex and a physical phone, try to find a pay phone right now. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Now, when you talk about the Hayes name in Toronto area broadcasting, you also think of Bill Hayes, Brian Hayes, or even John Derringer, who was actually born John Hayes. Any connection to any of these other gentlemen? Zero. So, yeah, I've uh, I've I've met uh, John. He changed he changed his name to Derringer. Uh, he tells me on a on a flight to Toronto after he got the Toronto gig. So, yeah, and his his brother is Bill Hayes, and Basically just said, I guess we're from the same town in Ireland somewhere many, many generations ago, but no, uh, no relation at all to them. What is next for the one minute morning and what is next for Tom Hayes? So uh, what's next for one minute morning is uh, simply growing it right now. Um, so so we, we've got targets that we want to hit and we are we're on pace for that. And um, I'm also interested in, in attracting new sponsorship too. But I'm also very keen, and, and I had this sort of vision from the beginning that one minute morning doesn't apply to just Toronto. Local news uh, can apply anywhere. So we actually launched one minute morning in New York City as well. Uh, when we started, uh, we pulled back on that until we got Toronto sort of um, formatted and put back, but um, the, the goal is to take it beyond Toronto for sure, because we, we think we've got some good branding, we've got a good name, uh, and, and it certainly it certainly would be applicable uh, in other sort of major markets. I smell a franchise. <laughs> yeah, you, you never know. You never know. You know what it is? It's a uh, it, it's something that I I love working with, and we are a very very small team. And we couldn't do it if we didn't have the experience and expertise that we have. 
and the technology as well too. You know, I'm editing this thing in the morning, uh, you know, on equipment that's on my desk that just didn't exist too long ago. So it's exciting and fun. And I think there's a lot of room to grow. Excellent. Well, that's great to hear. Where do we best follow you and where do we best consume One Minute Morning? So we're on all platforms. So if you're TikTok, you'll find us there, Twitter uh, and, and Instagram at One Minute Morning, the number one at number one minute morning is our name. Uh, so y- you just have to find us uh, on, on whatever platform you're on. Uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, or X as it's called. I still say Skydome. So it's going to take me a while to get to, to get to X. But uh, yeah, you'll find us anywhere, no matter what platform you're on. And for you personally, are you a social media guy? I guess I am by default because I, I contribute every morning to it. But do I spend a lot of time? Uh, you know, I, I enjoy Facebook. You know, I've got I've got 5,000 people on, on Facebook and, you know, I know 12 of them. But it's just from the years of, of being on television as a, as a journalist that, you know, people have connected. And I like that connection, right? It's, it's, it's like an audience out there. So uh, I like to update that now and then. Uh, but primarily... Uh, once I'm done one minute in the morning, I'm, I'm done. You know, it, that, that's sort of enough content for the day, except for my big Christmas tree. If you go on my Facebook, you'll see my 16 and a half foot Christmas tree that me and the girls just pulled in. <laughs> Excellent. Well, clearly the holidays are going to be a good time at the Hayes household. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you for your time today. It was great to meet you. It was great to catch up, get all the career stories. And I think you're really onto something. It sounds like, uh, You really got something great with One Minute Morning, so I want to wish you continued success. Thank you, Andrew, and and same to you, continued success. uh, uh, You pull off a nice interview, I'm going to say. It's nice to see you do your research, do your homework, and uh, you you could have been a big anchorman back in the day. You never know. Or the future. There's always hope. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you. It's very meaningful coming from you. I appreciate it. And to the listeners, on behalf of Tom Hayes, I am Andrew Applebaum saying thanks for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends Podcast. Do. Did. Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson. 
an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance, and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca.